0: At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point, it's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well good! Good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the Spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Because here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world better in tangible ways. And if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... Then welcome home. We're glad you're here. Today on the show, we're going to talk about starting over. We're going to talk about what does it mean to kind of get back to the basics in your faith. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to your podcasts: Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find Snarky Faith, Snarky Faith page over on Facebook. You can drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a Snarky Faith hotline if you want to leave us a message. And that number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. Man. I hope you guys are doing well. I, I I am like standing in a place where I'm just kind of thankful I survived my last week. This week has been spectacular. Uh, spectacular. But my last week was one of those times where you're just like catching your breath. You're moving. You, you're just constantly in motion. And I was just worn out. But, but in this process, I, I did want to tell you a story. And I, I mentioned this last week. And this is going to tie into our conversation today. So... Uh, I, had, I had mentioned, I think, last week that this is an interesting year after COVID. This is the first time we're going to have two of our kids out of the house at the same time. And I grabbed all four of my kids and dumped them in a minivan, and we piled in a car and drove down to Emory University this last week to drop off my daughter for her freshman year there. It was exciting. It was scary. It's a big thing in life watching your, your big baby girl go off into the wide world. So it was an interesting and bittersweet time, but also it was fun because it gave me a chance. I haven't done this very often in a while where I simply like take my kids because my wife had to still work. So we were the ones road tripping together. So we had some road trip fun on the way back, but being the one that was doing most of the driving because no, I'm not a control freak. I just like to be efficient on time. And we made great time the entire time. Thank you very much. Now that I got that off my chest. So as we're driving, as we're driving, we're kind of in the, in the last stretch, uh, the last couple hours before we're, we're going to make it home. We'd been at the beach and my younger kids, my, when I say younger kids, it's hilarious because my two high school kids, my little ones in high school, are just passed out in the back of our van. And as we're driving, my, my oldest son who's a sophomore in college is is riding shotgun with me. And we're talking about, we'd had these conversations like looking at all of these, these Jesus come find Jesus billboards that are lining the highways all the way from North Carolina to South Carolina to Georgia. And then back again, we took like a separate way back so we could go up by the ocean. And so we were seeing these things everywhere. Now these are these ones that are like call one, eight, three, four truth, like F O R truth. And, and I kept joking about it. I was like, I'm going to call up. I'm going to call up. My son's like, don't do it. Don't go and be a dick to these people because I know you can. So in one sense, that was like a proud papa moment. I was like, oh, he gets me. He really gets me. But after a while, I've seen these things. I was like, dude, I'm going to do this because I was, I was tired. And, 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 and listen, listen, my goal for this was was simply not to prank or mock them because that that is low-hanging fruit. I do it in the Christian Grace <laughs> every week on the show. So I actually literally called up with, with, with the assumption or, or, or acting as if I have no idea about Christianity, and I really wanted to learn based upon the signs telling me that I do not know the truth, and I need to find the truth or I'm going to die. And let me tell you, it was a really, really interesting and fruitless and pointless conversation <laughs> but but here, here here's somewhat how, how how it went and and I was telling some some of my uh some of my friends about this and they're like dude you need to do this again to record it and I was like pretty sure I'm not sure if actually recording somebody without their permission is illegal but at the same time my point is not simply just to mock these folks so so this is supposedly an an evangelistic organization that has that is like that they're literally called gospel billboards and they're all over the southeast and there's different ones and they're all in varying ranges of of offensiveness so i call up i get a guy on the phone that you know if if they're like half the phone thing is to learn more about god press one and then it's like pre-recorded messages but they they then they had well if you want to know more or have questions you can press zero so i press zero and and started talking to this older gentleman out of texas And he begins to ask me questions like, how'd you find out about us and all this stuff? And I was like, well, you know, and I'm I'm playing off. Like I really, and I can, I can act if I need to. And I started playing this off as as a person that was really, really curious about saying, I am interested in finding the truth. How do I do that? And I have never heard in a short period of time. And when I say short period of time, I mean, I was on the phone for at least a solid five minutes dialoguing with this guy. And I would just ask simple questions about what he was, he was telling me. And he couldn't answer them. It was like, it was like a layers of Christianese based on another layer of Christianese based on another layer of Christianese. You know, you just need to have the truth. What's the truth? Oh, the truth is what you get in the Bible. What truth is it? Oh, it's the truth of Jesus. What is the truth of Jesus? Well, that you're going to hell and you need Jesus. Well, and and, and then he's like, well, you need the truth to live a good life because you, you know, you're probably living a sinful life where you're at. And I was like, okay, so what is sin? And so we're talking through this. And then he's telling me, well, I really have to be able to study the scriptures because if I want to go to church, this is where it got kind of funny. I have to know the scriptures well enough to know which kind of church I should go to. And so then I started asking, like, well, what is the good church and how do I know it is a good church? First answer from me, how do I know if a church is a good church? Was his, his gut answer. Then, then he fixed it a little bit was do the women dress modestly? First one out out the gate. Do women dress modestly? Which I love that, and I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll make sure of that. And are they Bible believing? And I was like, well, what does it mean if they're Bible believing? Well, do they teach from the Bible? Well, I've heard lots of churches teach from the Bible. Well, they don't all do that. And so then it was just, it was this whole yarn and spin of of, of a bunch of different stuff. So I talked I talked to the gentleman, and it was it was nice and cordial, and and acted like I didn't know anything. But what it got what it smacked me, what it really, really just kind of smacked me in the head is this guy doesn't get it. This guy is supposed to be an ambassador for Christianity. And this dude doesn't get it. If I was a person, and again, I have worked for evangelistic organizations. I have worked with explaining what it means to be an evangelistic Christian to people. I have done that game. I've played that song and dance. So I know this. And, and, and talking through him, it was just, it, it was so incredible that he had all of these meaningless words somehow meant something to him, but he didn't even really know what they meant. And, and it, was, it, it just blew me away that if this is what these people are doing, spending their time doing, of trying to somehow get Jesus to people, and I'm pretty sure they don't even know Jesus. They don't even really know what they're talking about. They just know church culture, and they know church speak. And that is not the same as Christianity. I think there's many out there that confuse that with it. And we're going to be talking and digging deeper into this about getting it. Who gets it? Who gets it? How do we get it? Not like who gets it, like who's going to get something. No, who gets it? Who understands it in our conversation today? So let's go ahead and hop in to our first segment of the day in the news and finding out some good stuff, some bad stuff about Christianity in the news. In the news. So in regards to who doesn't get it, who doesn't get it? Here's a piece that CNN did interviewing different Trump supporters at a recent Trump rally in Alabama. Pay close attention to how this lady, how does she get her news about what's going on in the world today? I watch
1: Prophets of God and Newsmax and maybe a little Fox. That's about it. That's about it. Right. So that's but I've kind of turned away from news. I don't want to listen to it. I want to listen to what God's saying, what he's fixing to do. That's all I'm concerned about. I think it is a time where God is separating the sheep from the goats. What you, you know What are you? I am a, a, <laughs> I'm a goat because I ain't a sheep. I'm not doing what they tell me to do. Hmm. I'm fighting against it.
0: So let me unpack what this young lady had to say because, like, this is very endemic of a lot of people in the country today. So she was saying, is she doesn't trust the news, that she only listens to Newsmax, the prophets, sometimes Fox, but really she just listens to God. That's her litmus test. She just listens to what God has to say and then ends it with, she doesn't want to be one of the sheep. Because it's the, there's scripture in the Bible where, God, or where Jesus mentions about the, there's a time where there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats and God's going to separate the two. Let's not tell her in the fact is the idea in when Jesus is using this example is simply that the sheep go to heaven, the goats go to hell. And no, that's not just lyrics from a song by cake. Yes. So she's like, I don't want to be the sheep. I'm in one of those classical situations where I'm mixing my metaphors up. I don't know what's up and down. No, because really, (laughs) which is hilarious, the goats, the goats, the goats are the ones that reject Jesus. And she's like, I ain't no sheep. I ain't no sheep. I'm a goat. I'm a goat. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for a great and fantastic (laughs) example of not knowing what the hell you're talking about. Praise the Lord. Next to the news, it's a story coming out of Huffington Post. And it's all about Ken Ham. Now, if any of you out here are aliens, as in space aliens, I've got some bad news for you. Uh, creationist Ken Ham, who's the guy that made the Ark theme park in Kentucky, because why else go to Kentucky? There's really no reason to go to Kentucky. It is beautiful. There's parts that are very beautiful. But the <laughs> the Ark museum is not the way to go there. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, So Ken had some stuff to say this week about alien life because why not? Why not? He said this on Twitter. Jesus came to save us, not another planet to save another race of beings. Salvation through Christ is only for the Adamic race, which means those born of Adam. So... In other words, fuck you, E.T., you're going to hell. That's right, you heard it. Jesus didn't die for you, bitch. See ya. Yeah, but my biggest, like, why? Like, I don't know if this is just to get Buzz around his lameness, that what Ken Ham is doing, because he also believes they had, I think they had dinosaurs on the Ark, and all this makes so much sense, but of course... I do appreciate his big F you to aliens. My apology to aliens out there, because if you are part of God's creation, see, this 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 is where the logic doesn't add up for good old Ken. So let's pretend God created the universe. Come on, let's stick to Genesis, Ken. If God created the universe, everything, the light, the dark, the planets, he separated the formless void and, and, and he made things. Yes, yes, yes. So wouldn't that then in turn mean that God made other beings or other planets is i mean that would be the logical reason here i'm sorry we're trying to make logic out of illogicalness anyways but sure let's take that right 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 so then what 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 why are you why are you shooting the middle finger off to our friends from another planet ken huh because if god loves all of his creation what if he made aliens in his image too oh my goodness i don't really know what any of this means it's all crazy nonsense It's insane. It's crazy nonsense. Crazy nonsense. But I've led you to a point, because we're talking about people that don't get it. That have no idea what the hell is going on. They don't get it. I want to move you over here to someone who friggin' gets it. Who friggin' gets it. And this comes from over on The Friendly Atheist. And this is a clip from a dad from Tennessee... If anyone's been following the insane anti-masking parents in Tennessee about how they're losing their minds over school districts making their children wear a mask, yes, yes, it is. They're acting like it's child abuse. Yes, okay? This guy, I have no idea if this guy is even a Christian, but he actually lays it out pretty well about why we should wear masks and why that would be the Christian thing to do. So in the news this week, this guy is on fire. This guy gets it. This guy knows where it's at. He knows what's going on. Justin Canoe,
2: my dad in Williamson County. Didn't plan on speaking, but here we go. Uh, First of all, critical race theory is not in our schools, and it never was. And the people here to complain about it did not know what it was six months ago and had never heard of it. That's why they're going after diversity, equity, and inclusion instead and trying to pretend they're the same thing. They aren't. And frankly, there aren't many communities around the globe that need DEI more than this one that we live in. On another note, I'm a dad of a new kindergartner and her first day was right after the chaos last week. She went to school and was one of just a few kids in her class wearing a mask, which made her ask me why she had to. My answer was because we want to take care of other people. She's five years old, but she understood that concept. And it's disappointing that more adults around here can't seem to grasp it. I asked a pastor friend of mine, and he was very clear there's no actual biblical justification for using the Bible to get out of a mask mandate passed by a majority of this elected board. But thousands are doing it anyway, calling it a religious exemption, which is frankly just sad. Avoiding masks is not in the Bible, but taking care of others is. And now today we have Governor Lee's executive order to allow opt-outs, which is government overreach undercutting a local decision. If you only like democracy when it goes your way, you don't actually like democracy. Thank you.
0: Woo! Homeboy's on fire with that. Justin, Justin Canoe loved it. And I love how he nailed, I love how he nailed the hypocrisy of so many Christians out there. There's pastors there are pastors, there are other stories that we're not going to get to today, uh, pastors writing exemptions for their congregation, saying this is a religious issue, da 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 And this is just, it's ludicrous, and it is, it is anti-biblical. It is anti-love of neighbor. Justin gets it. I wish other people did, too. You know what's also on fire? The snarky swag that we sell in the snarky swag store. That's right, that's right. Just head over to www.snarkyfaith.com and click on Swag Store for shirts, mugs, all the stuff from Snarky Faith that you know and love and you need more of. I do that. I do that as a bit of a setup for someone that I kind of feel hmm, will set the stage for our next segment, The Christian Crazy. And this is really, this is this is Jim Baker. Jim Baker is the king of selling things on his program. I've learned so much about prayer blankets and prayer mugs and prophetic things and, you know whatever spiritual suppositories that he's selling this week. Yeah, that kind of a thing. But I wanted to add this. Now I don't have a sound clip, which is sad, but, but as we exit our new section this week, this is, this is going to be kind of your, your happy place. This is your deep thoughts. This is your, this is your moment of spiritual Nirvana. Enjoy. How can you go to church and pray? When you're wearing a mask, do you think God can hear your prayers through a mask? Jim Baker. Apparently, God created the universe, can handle creating all of what exists, but is spoiled by a simple mask. All God hears is. <laughs> When you're wearing a mask, God can't hear this. He can't hear anything at all. Because when you pray, this is all he hears. Oh my goodness, the devil is sneaky. Using masks in such a weird way to muffle our prayers. (laughs) Oh, Jim, thanks. Thanks for speaking the truth. (laughs) Bullshit. Excuse me, I sneezed. Moving on, we are going to move in rapid fire Through our next segment of the Christian Crazy The Choices Cuts of the Christian Nuts Yes, yes, we're tied on time So let's go ahead and get this party started Here's the Christian Crazy If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be
2: right Lord have mercy, the Lord is my shepherd he knows know what I want to
1: be.
0: So remember, we're running through this theme of who gets things and doesn't get things leading to our main conversation of kind of starting again, starting from scratch, trying to figure out what the hell is our faith all about? Yeah, yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have like a rapid fire segment here. I'm going to introduce someone in the Christian crazy. I'm going to let them run as far as they can run until they do something that really has zero to do with Christianity. First up, Pastor Jack Hibbs is praying This last Sunday, he's praying about what, what, what? What is he praying about? Does this have anything to do with Christianity? Oh, baby, you know it doesn't, because that's where we're in the Christian crazy. But it's awesome. Here we go. And Father, we pray for whoever it is
2: behind this presidency, whoever it is behind this State Department, whoever it is, whatever it is, behind this Department of Defense, that you would pull it, Father God Almighty, that you would pull it, because it is evil. It is pure, pure,
0: Christless, godless evil. Sorry, we weren't looking for conspiracy theories, we were looking for prayer, prayer here, because (laughs) the fact that the, the government and the State Department don't act like Jesus, what? What? Who? who knew because they've always liked it like jesus right our government is always like what no 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 moving on moving on moving on more crazy ahead now the next bit of crazy this is actually not one of the prophets this is this is a weird story that popped up it was last week it was an american airlines off-duty pilot was on a plane and as the passengers are disembarking, decides to grab the radio and begin to share all about his story. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a trigger warning because it's very homophobic. It involves, well, it's just friggin' messed up. And the reason I bring this up is not just to shame this guy. It's, it's, it's to point out the fact of he doesn't get it. This is not how you share Jesus with people, right? This this is a weird and warped version of how Christians think that they're somehow supposed to be offensively shoving Jesus in people's faces. Kind of like waterboarding people with Jesus. Is that the gospel? No, it's not. No, it's not at all. I'll let it run for a bit, but, you know, trigger warnings, because this guy is nuts. But thinks he's doing the work of the Lord. But then again, so are the Taliban. They think that too. (laughs) <laughs> I was raped or molested as a young boy,
2: it does not matter it, whether it was, you can go ahead and go if you need to, it does not matter whether it was a family member or friend or stranger it happened and I was um, left to deal with it alone, though I was raised by Christians in the church, I never felt like I could share that with anyone, I screamed to God every night that he would take away my sins and thoughts and resulting homosexual tendencies, my life spent, kept spiraling out of control. I became a sexual addict and turned to pornography. That's okay. I'm sorry if you're
1: comfortable. Um, I just want you to hear me. I'm, I'm not trying to
0: tell you what to do. But I became a sexual addict. And now, here, here's what I want to say is this poor fellow needs therapy. This guy has been abused by the church. This guy has been to the ringer and been told to his face that there was something wrong with him and that he somehow needs to exercise the sin that's within him. That though he's created in God's image and loved by God, he's been taught by the church to hate himself. And vicariously, why I'm putting this in the Christian crazy is this idea that these Christians somehow need to shove their faith in other people. This is a flight where we have children on board. And this guy is talking about rape and pornography, masturbation and homosexuality, right? Read the room, buddy. That's not how evangelism friggin works. You're missing the damn point. Now, it's very sad. I really hope this guy can get some help. But this kind of mindset and this kind of posture is very present. And Christians, many of them, especially conservative and evangelicals, believe they need to be able to shove stuff down people's throats because that's what God wants. Spoiler alert, that's not what God wants. So, all right, we've got two examples of the people. They don't get it. They don't get how this works. Last one, last one, and most fun of all, cat cat. Yeah, she's our resident prophetess And she is Bad shit crazy Woo, yeah, she is She's the one that talked last week about riding on lava When she she does talked about heaven in these terms.
1: There is rain in heaven. There is absolutely nothing destructive. There's yeah. no there's no earthquakes. No, there are volcanoes, but they're for entertainment. They're for fun. You get to ride the lava out. Really? Yeah, you get to ride out on the lavas.
0: Just checking to make sure you're keeping score that Cat Care. That one. Now, Cat Care is also wanting to school us a little bit and more of why she doesn't get it, doesn't understand Christianity in this spot where she's explaining why hey none of you guys understand what's happening here because prophets understand the spiritual realm and you guys are just dumb but not Cat care she knows it all she knows where it's at i'm pretty sure it's either in the medicine cabinet or the liquor cabinet is that right cat
1: usually mostly they don't understand the spirit realm and let's just talk anything in the spirit realm most people don't have it in their head what that is So they don't understand the difference between truths in the spirit realm and truths in the natural, the spirit realm is the original realm. It's where the father operates. It's where he lives. It's what his world is made of out of. And he is the one, the father is the one who's got the greatest revelations. He knows things. Even his son doesn't, his son doesn't mind that at all. And so the father has some of the highest revelations. And when you get revelation on the word itself, it opens up the whole word to you. And then you get excited. This is and has been probably for the last 15 years, a solid season of getting revelation. That means from the father himself about what his scriptures mean, what his plans are, why in our own head we can't understand it. Because God's not something you understand with your head knowledge.
0: This is the epitome Of the Christian grift right there This is the epitome of the grift Whereas Cat Care does not get Christianity But she gets how To milk chumps That are a part of Christianity You don't have to understand I understand I have the knowledge I understand this You don't need to worry about this You don't see it None of this makes sense It would seem crazy But just trust me Because I'm the craziest or I'm the I don't know I don't what are they like The yes I'm the I'm the crazy wrangler I'm the harbinger of insanity I don't really know what she is but I will say affirmatively none of this is Christianity at best it's like gnosticism light where you know there's secret information you can only get from god and scripture doesn't make sense until you have a revelation so you can't really read scripture until you're revealed what scripture says because scripture doesn't say what it says and yes an infinitum and you just keep going and going and going christianity no it's not but that's why we're here to start back in the beginning we want to get back to the start line and really get to the core of what Christianity is about as we talk about beginning again in our minds to refresh ourselves and, hey, what is Jesus all about? Now, I know that we're in the age and era where memes are our main source of intellectual nourishment and education. So I'd, I'd seen this one. And so this these are both interesting. They're not totally true, but they're not totally wrong either. So One of the reasons we're talking about Jesus is simply this. So there's a meme out there that has colonizer Jesus versus historical Jesus. So colonizer Jesus is white, Christian, patriotic, sees justice through retribution, died for your sins, sends sinners to hell, silent in the face of oppression, condemns sinners, endorses church and state. He's a king. He upholds the traditional family unit and endorses holy war. We love colonizer white Jesus, right? And on the flip side, in this overly simplistic meme, we have historical Jesus, who is Middle Eastern, brown skin. He's Jewish. He was colonized by Rome. He had justice through saw justice through restoration. He was killed by the church and the state. He was a friend of sinners and outcasts. He liberated the oppressed and continues to. He critiques religious people. He subverts the empire. He was a homeless man and a child refugee, and had half siblings. And he was nonviolent. So. Instead of us instead of us memeing it out to figure out where we're at, let's just do exactly kind of what Lewis Carroll said in Alice in Wonderland. When he said, begin at the beginning, and go till you come to the end, and then stop. Now, what I want to do, and this is going to be a conversation that is going to extend over the, the next few weeks. Nay, I call this a series. Not really, but it'll be something that is loosely connected to the tissues from week to week and what we're doing. Now, what I'm wanting to do when we talk about like who is Jesus, I, I really want to hop into the meat of really what he preached. And and the best place for us to be centering on really diving into Jesus is we should look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, you're gonna be getting a lot of it over the next couple of weeks. So the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna go ahead and today kind of set up, set up where we are in scripture, and we're gonna lead in towards talking about who is this Jesus as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to do this, I am going to be jumping around through a few different books in this conversation today and in the next couple of weeks. Uh, primarily, I'm gonna be going through there's a book called Taking Jesus at His Word by Addison Hodges Hart. I'm also gonna be hopping through a little bit of Henry Nowen and some Brian McLaren to kind of help around us out in that conversation, or in this conversation we have. So, I'm going to go, we're going to go ahead and start. And the funny thing about this is, when we're beginning at the beginning, we're going to be talking about all kinds of background and foundational stuff to, add to where we're at in the history and the time and what was going on when Jesus speaks this. So, for some background into our conversation today, we're going to be going covering Matthew 4, 23, all the way through 5, 2. Now, in, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV version, and it goes like this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness amongst the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they, bought to, they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paraplegics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And when Jesus saw the crowds coming, he went up to the mountain, and after he he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak and taught them this, saying, and that's as far as we're actually getting today. Okay, so up until this point in the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? So he's going around teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then we also know that he's healing and curing people, right? So what does it mean? Because oftentimes I feel like we've heard these kind of, if you've grown up around church, you hear this stuff so much that we forget really what it means. So when we hear that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, we oftentimes think, oh, I know what the good news is that Jesus died for us, right? Right? Okay. Had Jesus died for them yet at this point? No. So then what is the good news of the kingdom? I don't know. So Jesus was known for saying this in scriptures up until this point. Jesus would say things like this. He would say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we've oftentimes heard, we know the kingdom of God. We've heard repent ad nauseum if we have been around church culture. So really, what does this mean? Well, in the Greek, in the Greek, repent simply means to change your mind, change your way of thinking. That's what it means. Like we've heard, repent, repent, because we're afraid that we're going to go to hell. Repent, right? Be fearful. Be fearful. God is angry. That's usually what it means. No, repent in this situation when what he's doing here is laying out this new idea of how the kingdom of God works. Jesus is just saying, I'm asking you to look at the world in a different way. I'm asking you to change the way you live your life, because I'm going to lay down upon you a different set of ethics and a different set of rules that I want you to begin to adhere to and, and, and walk within. Now, it's also worth noting this. Now, that we hear here that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of what? Of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that this seems like some sort of spiritual lofty language that we have going here, but really at this time, this is, this is very insurrectional language that Jesus is using, especially as he is attracting crowds and also as a fact that he's actually in the public square preaching in different synagogues and other places, proclaiming this good news of this new kingdom, of this new kingdom. Why does that matter? Well, there's an existing kingdom of the time. We have Rome. Rome is a major occupier (laughs) of the Jewish people and many other people at this time. They are the empire. They are the power structure of the time. And Rome, with Rome, Rome crushes those that are weak to get what Rome wants. And then here we have this guy declaring that there is a new way, a new way to live that has nothing to do with Rome, that has nothing to do with their Caesar, who they saw as, almost as a god. But what he's doing is he's refining what kingdom is supposed to look like based upon a Jewish ideal here. Now, this is coming from Taking Jesus at His Word by Addison Hodges Hart. And they put it like this. The kingdom, the kingdom Jesus said he came to proclaim was a kingdom where the children come first and the first come last, where hierarchy is inverted so that the poor and slaves are given dignity, where all are brothers and sisters, and so on. So when we talk about this, when we talk about the kingdom of God, God is talking, Jesus is talking in this sense about a whole new power dynamic that is different than the might makes right way of the world at that time. And actually, what might makes right is pretty much a lot the way the world is today, too. So there are those that are powerful and in charge, and they are oftentimes corrupt, and they do not care about the little guy. Now, the way that God looks at the world, he sees beauty in all things. And so even Jesus being able to challenge this is huge. It's insurrectional. Now, secondly, what he's also doing here is he's also laying this out in the present. So he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he's saying the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is around us, which is also something that is very different than Christianity right now. And we think of the kingdom of God. We think of heaven a lot of times. We think of the here ever after. We think of what's going to happen when we die. In Christianity, we don't oftentimes think of our faith as a here and now and a right now kind of a thing, like a right now, like in this moment, right now, not like tomorrow. Like in this moment, the God's kingdom is advancing now, and where is it, and where will it be? Well, as Christ is laying this out, this is going to be everywhere. It's this idea that it is spreading and that it is growing, and that it it is something here that is is a reality that needs to first engage us in our own hearts, in our own perspectives, in how we regulate ourselves, how we guide and govern ourselves, how we interact with others around us. So this new kingdom begins with us first, and then we take it and manifest it into the world around us, which is very, very different, where Rome manifests its kingdom by squashing others and then creates its infrastructure around the damage that it's created through its own power. So, one comes to the people first the people walk it out versus the the government or the power structures of the time forcing it upon other people right very 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 different way of looking at things you could often even say you can often even say in in a certain sense that what Jesus is trying to get at is that the kingdom of god in a certain sense is a new way to live it's a way of life and and i feel like that what oftentimes happens within christianity these days is that we have boiled Christianity down to a system of belief. To be a Christian we have to believe these things, right? We have the certain dogma, we have certain things that we must believe in to be able to stay part of this tribe. I believe in X, Y and Z. That makes me okay with this tribe because we believe in the same things. But what Jesus is actually pushing back because again, he first came to the Jews, to the people that knew, that knew the word of God, that knew what had been written, that knew had been what what had been commanded To be on their hearts. So Jesus approaches them first, those that should know this, because Judaism at this time had really fallen into kind of what Christianity is. It's about a system of beliefs, it's about a way that you you raise your right hand here, you put your left foot down, and it's it's a whole thing where we're just walking through the motions. But it's very different. And, And think about that on your own the difference between a system of belief and a way of life. A system of belief is something that is very, like, boxed in. A way of life, it breathes. It grows. It challenges you. And I think much of what Christ is trying to do here at this time, at the beginning, as he's doing this in his ministry, is to remind the Jews, hey, hey, you guys have kind of missed the point here, and it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because engaging life through a system of beliefs versus a way of life it really exposes different values and tents and visions that we have for engaging the world around us and how we move out. Like one of these, like I grew up around this. I grew up around oh, Southern Baptists where it was all about almost like intellectualism. Like We have to memorize this much scripture because if you memorize scripture, you know scripture. I know the words. I don't know what they mean, but I know how to do them very fast, Right. We, we begin to see this, it becomes a very tangible way of measuring things, the way that religion sets things up. Like we see religion being the system that sets up walls and lines and edges. But the other way, this, this other way that Christ is opening up into the world here is a way of life, and it's more amorphous. And, and it relies more of us, those who try to engage in it, it relies upon us to engage with reality in a new way. Whereas reality is not just about what I can get from myself, it's about what I can do for the other. In in the system of religion, it's all about making sure people believe the right thing. But in a way of life, it becomes more about walking out the right thing with other people. Now, I understand this. I understand why religious systems and systems of belief work better than ways of life. Now, why does that happen? Well, because again, I mentioned earlier, they're very tangible. Like you're very, you're able to check boxes. You're able to say, "Do you know this? Uh, do you understand this? Can you recite this to us?" And in a way of life, it ends up being a lot more like wibbly wobbly. It becomes more gray and less black and white. Now, making this 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 simple indication between the two is is one that I I want us to think about this when we begin in the beginning and we begin to go back to who Jesus is. We, it, is, it is imperative. Before we even really get to the words that he's going to say in the Sermon of the Mount, we have to see what he's doing and what he's leading towards. And, and in this, as we begin to look at this again, hopefully with some new eyes, hopefully returning to this and saying, how does this speak to me now? In this whole conversation between systems of belief versus ways of life, I, I ask these questions like, when, from moving from one to the other, what is lost? And when we're in this time where we feel like we have lost something, where we see people leaving church, why? Because churches are religious systems that are systems of belief. Because people want something more. People want to engage in something more, something that requires more of them, besides just showing up and putting money in an offering plate. So I I ask you this question and offer this unto you, because this is a question I've been thinking about all this week. You know, what needs to be rediscovered in our faith? Like, it's one thing for us to continue to, to, to point out where, where Christianity has gone wrong, and boy, has it gone wrong in so many different ways. Uh, we see it everywhere. But it's harder for us to say, so how, what are we going to do about it? So what is lost and what needs to be rediscovered? Because we've talked about this in the past here on the show, and I, and I think part of this, and I think Jesus, even in the early parts of what we're talking about here, shows us a huge difference. Uh, oftentimes, the a lot of the Jewish mentality around what it meant to be faithful surrounds this idea of cleanliness, especially during like this this first century time. That there 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 was there was definitely the areas that were clean and unclean. There was a lot of hand washing and feet washing. There was a lot of washing going on because again, to to be clean is to not be defiled by the sinfulness of the pagans and of the earth. So there's this idea of. Of this is clean and God is happy, and this is dirty and God does not like this. But we see, but we see this. Jesus is not. I mean, he is going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But he's healing people, and these are people that the kingdom of Rome does not care about. People with diseases, people that are epileptics and paraplegics, people that 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 are demon possessed. These are the folks that Rome does not care about. These are the folks that honestly. the Jews of the time did not care much about either. What begins to happen is when we begin to see that there is no line between those lines of cleanliness and uncleanliness, that those lines between secular and sacred, what that does is it begins to give us a space where we are allowed to grow and experience the King of God in a different way that was possible before. Because when we're caught in systems of belief, really all that we need to do is we're just memorizing facts and figures. We're just memorizing scripture. We're just able to say here, like, I know this. God is happy that I know this. And I can repeat this to other people because I want other people to repeat the words too. Now, within Christianity, we can also ask a lot of questions like, where did we go wrong within all of this? Well, I think some of this comes down to the fact of that we have been too obsessed and preoccupied with the eternal aspects of life. What happens in the ever after? Right? And that's, that's that's been one of the central, the central arguments of, of evangelism is, do you know where you're going to go when you die? But the kingdom of God doesn't engage in that way. The kingdom of God is that there's good news here and now. So then I ask myself, why is Christianity preoccupied with the ever after? Because uh, it actually fits in their system of beliefs better. But what I really begin to think is that Jesus is, is engaging in something that is, that is very intensely human here. Something that is not divine at all. Even though I think the question in itself may be kind of some of our inner divinity, but it's the question that plagues a lot of us. Like, How should I live my life? Like, what should I do with my time here? And I think that that is an essentially human question that I believe that Jesus is engaging with, that I believe that the idea of the kingdom of God absolutely engages with. Because it calls us to be awake and aware of what is happening now. But that's definitely easier said than done. And I love this quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton, where he said this. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. See, oftentimes I think that, that, off, that what we look into when we really want to, to dive into the words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, it requires something of us. As most things in life that matter to us, it will require something of us. If it doesn't, then it's kind of an easy and a cheap faith. If it doesn't, it's mere performance. If it doesn't, it's just religion. And if you're probably listening to this show, religion is something that you're probably tired of. Because you're somehow at 46 minutes into the show that's been ripping on religion in many ways, and so you are still here. And I'm glad you are. I'm absolutely glad you're here. Because I'm here to say that there continues to be more. And one other point that I, I, want, I want to pull, pull out of this, too, is, is my question would be, generally, what kind of people was Jesus engaging with and talking with? Especially when he's, when he's preaching and sharing this good news. Jesus is talking to the regular, ordinary people of life. So his message is not for the overly, uh, overly educated. No, he's talking right to the people that have dirt under their fingernails and know what it's like to labor for a day as wages. So Jesus is speaking about this new kingdom to them, to them. And, and I, and I think that oftentimes, why, why does this become such a difficult deed for us to be able to abide and walk out? Uh, as Chesterton said that it, people have found it difficult. People have found it very difficult. Well, I'm going to bring in a little bit um, from the words of Henry now and from making all things new. and, and he begins to talk about how oftentimes that we are overtaken in our lives with worry and busyness. And oftentimes those can be things that consume us, that overwhelm us, and that as long as that we're busy, we're not asking those questions. How am I supposed to be living my, my life? What is my life supposed to be about? But Nouwen says this. He says, one of the most notable characteristics of worrying is that it fragments our lives. The many things to do, to think about, to plan for, the many people to remember, to visit, to talk with, the many causes to attack or defend, all these pull us apart and make us lose our center. Worrying causes us to be all over the place, but seldom at home. One way to express our spiritual crisis of our time is to say that most of us have an address but cannot be found there. We know where we belong, but we keep being pulled away in many directions as if we were still homeless. All these other things keep demanding our attention. They lead us so far from home that we eventually forget our true address, and that is the place where we can be addressed. Jesus responds to this condition of being filled yet unfulfilled, very busy yet unconnected, all over the place yet never at home. He wants to bring us to the place where we belong. But his call to live a spiritual life can only be heard when we are willing to honestly honestly to confess our own homeless and worrying existence and recognizing its fragmenting effects on our daily life. Only then can a desire for a true home develop. It is of this desire that Jesus spoke when he says, Do not worry. Set your hearts on his kingdom first, and all these other things will be given to you as well. So, when we return back again to Jesus, Jesus came to offer a different way to live. Jesus did not come to offer an express train away from this earth, an express train away from the fires of hell. No, Jesus came to say, All of this all of this hierarchy, all of this patriarchy, all of this future capitalistic (laughs) sense of of the strong survive, might makes right, and those who squish others will be the ones on top in the end. He comes to say, that's the easy way of life, and that is not the way that you were created to be, that there is much, much, More to you. Jesus came to challenge the power of the empire. His words were insurrectional. His words led to his death, which we don't need to overly spiritualize also at the same time. Jesus was killed by the state. He was killed by Rome for what he was doing because they did not like it. And it was not about the healing and praying stuff, it was about the kingdom of God stuff. It was about the, hey, I'm God, because, hey, that's what Caesar had said up until this point. So why continue, Stuart? Why are we back here? Why are we doing this? And I'm going to tell you why, because I think the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect place for us to get our hands dirty again and remind ourselves where we came from. Now, there is this phenomenal quote. This is from Kurt Vonnegut back in May 2004. He wrote an article called In These Times. And he wrote this. For some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes. But often, with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom? Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon? give me a break. I think Vonnegut is absolutely right with this. I think he's absolutely spot on because we would rather have we would rather have rules to judge and shame people and call that a faith rather than have a faith that requires us to live in a different way, to not call out other people, but calls us to live radically compassionate lives full of grace, to love others in a way that does not contend with the currencies of this world. See, when we get back to this place of knowing Jesus, getting back to the beginning of what he was about, Jesus was here to throw the religion of the time, what the Jews had thought was their word of God. He came to throw it on its ear. He also came to talk to the citizens of Rome to say, this is not the way forward. This is not the way of God. And it was deeply concerning to the people that were in political power and religious power of the time, just like these same words scare them in this time today. Actually, it doesn't really scare them anymore. They just think that it's, it's I've been told this before. Oh, that's nice. That's so hippie. This idea of love and compassion as the way forward. That's delightful. And people say that as a way to brush it off. But the kingdom of God is very serious. It is not some sort of a, a, a mere idea. So for the remaindering minutes here on the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present an idea. An idea. Because remember, this is going to be a continuing conversation over the next few weeks. It's an idea presented by Brian McLaren in his book, Finding Our Way Again. And McLaren says this. He says, Spiritual practices are a way of putting the universe on fast rewind until it collapses into a singularity of dark light. So as to recall all that all creation originally unfolded, From the divine source, singing, Let there be. There are likewise a way of putting the universe on fast forward, imagining it hurling forward and onward until it is caught up in the wide arms of grace, like a beginning toddler falling with an awkward, joyous determination across the space towards his mother's arms. And perhaps the most important are a way of locating ourselves in the present moment, no less. Lightened by the presence of the unseen God from whom we come, to whom we go, and with whom we travel. Spiritual practices are a way of becoming awake and staying awake to God. And we're going to be pursuing these over the next few weeks because I think we need to return to these things. I think we need to return to the things that matter. So I'm going to leave you with a question. Actually, two questions, and I mentioned them earlier. But in our faith, in your faith, what's been lost? And what needs to be rediscovered? So what's been lost in your faith? And what needs to be rediscovered? Because only you can answer that question. We're going to be diving down deeper into the Sermon on the Mount and different spiritual practices over these next coming weeks. So, so, so. That's all I got. And I look forward to more as we move forward in the future. And as I do every week, I send you off with the holiest amounts of grace and peace and snark. But you go into this world and begin to engage in living a life that is oriented around the kingdom of God that calls you to love others and orient your life around making this world a better place. That's all I got this week and I will catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace.